As Freddie himself said, By making this concert, we are doing something positive to make people look, listen, and hopefully donate. When people are starving, it should be looked upon as one united problem. Sometimes I do feel helpless. This is one of those times I can do my bit. And as Bob Geldof said, It was the perfect stage for Freddie Mercury, the whole world. There was a time when politicians made great orators. The art has dwindled dramatically in this century. Rock and roll, of all unlikely disciplines, is one of the few remaining professions in which an individual or group can hold an audience in the palm of their hand, controlling a throng of thousands with their voice. Film actors can't do it. Television stars don't even get close. Perhaps it makes the rock superstar the last great compelling figure of our times. This occurred to me as I stood in the curtained wings at Wembley Stadium on Live Aid Day with Who bassist John Entwistle and his girlfriend Max. We watched Freddie perform in sweltering heat for close to 80,000 people and for a television audience of who knows. A lot of figures have been banded about in the ensuing years, but somewhere between 400 million in around 50 countries via satellite and 1.9 billion worldwide. With nonchalance, wit, cheek and sex, he gave it the works. We looked on open-mouthed. The deafening roar of the crowd drowned out any attempt to speak to them. Freddie couldn't have cared. The raw power that held his audience spellbound was so potent you imagined you could smell it. Backstage, the most legendary names in rock paused to watch their rivals stealing the show. Freddie knew what he was doing all right. For 18 minutes, this unlikely king and queen ruled the world. We make luck in random ways. Bob Geldof scribbling in his diary in a taxi one day. That was lucky. This was in November 1984. From the depths of his brain, a battleground of conflicting thoughts, as he later described it, came rudimentary bits of lyrics that would soon enough rock the world. It happened shortly after watching Michael Berg's terrible bulletin from famine-wracked Ethiopia on BBC News. Horrified by television footage depicting suffering of biblical proportions, Geldof felt at once shocked and helpless, his gut telling him that he had to get involved. He had no idea how. He could do what he did best, sit down and write a single, the proceeds of which he could pledge to Oxfam. But his Irish punk band, the Boomtown Rats, were by then in decline, having not enjoyed a top ten hit since 1980. Their zenith, a number one with I Don't Like Mondays, had been and gone in 1979. Music fans, he knew, would flock to buy a charity single, provided the artist was big enough, especially at the Christmas single time of year. It was a question of finding a sympathetic star to record one, how much better if he could persuade a whole galaxy to join in one song? Bob spoke to Mid Yur, whose band Ultravox were appearing that week on The Tube, a Channel 4 rock and pop show presented by Geldof's then-girlfriend, soon to be his wife, the late Paula Yates. Midge agreed to set Geldof's lyrics to music and to orchestrate some arrangements. 
Bob then went to Sting, Duran Duran singer Simon Le Bon, Gary and Martin Kemp of Spandau Ballet. His galactic list stretched as time ticked on to include, among many, Boy George, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, the Style Council's Paul Weller, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely of Wham!, and Paul Young. Francis Rossi and Rick Parfit of Status Quo went in willingly. Phil Collins and Bananarama followed suit. David Bowie and Paul McCartney, who were otherwise committed, made contributions remotely. These were sent to Geldof to be dubbed onto the single later. Sir Peter Blake, world famous for his iconic artwork on the Beatles album cover Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, was recruited to design the record sleeve. Band-Aid was born. The name, a pun on a common brand of sticking plaster.